What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. Now, I can presume that many of you may know who my guest is. He is becoming pretty well known, certainly in Michigan. Um, And if you don't know who he is, then maybe you have perhaps tried some of his products. Um, Super interesting guy. Before we get into the conversation, I do want to remind you guys, if you have not yet left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, please go do that. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many of the other smaller little apps that allow you to listen to podcasts. Or you can go to our website, coldchowerpodcast.com. And then I will also link to all of our social media outlets so that you can follow along with more of what we have going on there. And then my guest, I will also link to as well in the show notes if you want to go to their website or follow their Instagram page. They have a huge following there. They're doing some really cool stuff. Um, My guest today was Joe Short. I was really, really fortunate to be able to score a sit down. He's a very busy guy. Uh, We had a mutual friend, and so he arranged it. And I was happy to sit down and just have a you know hour-long conversation with him. And we talked about how he got his start as a brewer, and then we... We navigated our way into hobbies, kind of his outlook on life, uh, how he approaches his business, you know, maybe what has led him to be as successful as he has, what makes him a good a good boss, and why he's working so hard to to maintain this uh, level of integrity that that Shorts Brewing has. Uh, so I really appreciated him taking the time to share some of these things. I think you guys will really really enjoy this episode. So give him some love. And without further ado, the episode with Joe Short. Joe, thanks for having me out, man. Thanks for coming all the way out. Yeah. So we're in a... A new building or Brand a new building? building. Okay. Formerly Elk Lake Tool, uh, tool manufacturing business is here for over 30 years. Okay. Um, so this building is south of our main production facility, which is uh, about a stone's throw from here. And then our storage units are between here and our production facility. Okay. Got it. So you're just making a little empire back here. We're creating a campus. Campus, In right. the industrial park. There you go. And uh, it was funny because today in the, this morning's meetings, we were like, we need a, a name for this building because what it's become is um, our maintenance building, we call the Beat Lab, and then our Fest and Events buildings, which are out in BFE and Bel Air, we called uh, Beer Camp. Okay. So then I started calling it Beat Camp. Yep. And then this morning, I'm like, we just need to call it something so when folks like you need to know how to get here, it's like, let's just call it SBC 203 because that's 203 Industrial Park. Drives. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's probably a good sign if you have uh, having to come up with so many names for buildings. I think this whole brewing thing is going to work out okay. It's a good sign or a big problem. Yeah, right? sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, give people, I, I suspect most listeners are going to have an idea of who you are, but give like an elevator pitch of, you know, what your business is and, and sure. what you do. Um, so in short, we're a, we're a craft beer manufacturer. We've been brewing beers since 2004. Uh, we started in a little brew pub in Bel Air, which is a little town um, a few lakes over, but still in Antrim County. And um, we started distributing um, package product 
uh, bottles um, in 2009. Uh, that's when we opened this facility here in Elk Rapids. And we started expanding regionally um, about four years ago, three or four years ago, where we aborted the Michigan only Michigan forever mm -hmm. plan and uh, decided to uh, open up new markets. So now we're in uh, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin, Florida, and soon to be Colorado. So we'll be opening up Colorado in February. Sweet. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I didn't know if you'd touch on that or not. So there was sure. a partnership with Lagunitas, right? Yeah, so we joined, uh, we sold uh, about 20% of shorts uh, to Lagunitas. And right around that time, they were selling the remaining 50% of their company to Heineken. Uh, so Heineken owns 100% of Lagunitas, Lagunitas owns 20% of us. Okay. And that was during a time where we had um, made some internal restructuring. So we had lost a couple partners and gained another mm -hmm. um, and gaining another was the Lagunitas. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I'd read it because how many years ago was that? Two, three almost. Okay. Now? Two or three. Yeah. I'd read about that. And then I liked the way that I think you had worded it, which was essentially like with this partnership, we have more possibilities and I mean, you're giving people jobs too, right? Yeah. We employ about 180 people. Um, and you know, uh, this industry is growing and evolving and changing and, uh, you know, entrepreneurship requires uh, a little bit of flexibility um, to kind of maintain your, your status as a company and um, continue to be innovative and uh, manage the market, um, bring new products into the market. And, and Lagunitas has got, you know, they're 15 years our senior so they've got a, an expansive toolkit and um, we're able to tap into that yeah, um, and help basically grow our brand. So, And it sounded like you were careful about kind of maintaining the integrity of what you have, but just embracing, you know, some of the possibilities that come with that partnership. I mean, has that been easy enough to do, like maintaining oh. the integrity? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're pretty much a hands-off awesome. partnership. Um, um more than anything, it's a business, you know, business transaction with, uh, you know, we, we have on a call, uh, my partner, Scott, he's, uh, our uh, CEO. He works closely with, um, I guess our point person at Lagunitas. Um, but it's super informal and, um, we have fun and we talk about, you know, product development and we're able to, uh, strategize, you know, anything from like, you know, raw materials. So getting can pricing and packaging pricing and, um, hops, you know, through the channels of Lagunitas helps us, uh, improve our margins and our pricing on our end. Mm -hmm. Um, so things like that. And then also, um, relationship building, which is great. So with the, the three tier system where we're subject to, to sell our product to a, you know, a middleman, you know, so to speak. And, um, Getting, uh, getting us access to the market's been been huge. So right. having those relationship connections has been an important thing for us. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Now, I want to switch um, 
lanes a little bit here. Can you explain the evolution of your mustache? Like, how did it become? Because <laughs> I have one, That's and I'm story. like embarrassed to even claim this as a mustache, as I said across from you. Yeah, um, yeah. Talk about it. So, um, John Voitovich, aka Woj, he was. Um, he's been with us for a long time, um, like 10, 12 years now. He was having his big 30th birthday party. He called it the Dirty 30 Mustache Party. All right. And um, for that, like I never thought I could grow a mustache before that. Um, I think I was still going through puberty back then. But <laughs> um, I, for Woj's birthday, I decided to grow one. And it was like every bit of like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite's yeah. like really thin white trash Yep. you know gross mustache and i just stuck it out and it was like a four-month ordeal like awful and this is right during the time where um i had my first son okay so like all the baby pictures of me and simon have me in this gross awful mustache <laughs> this is also during a time where we we're doing some financing stuff like buying this um, property here in elk rapids for production so like all my bank meetings i look yeah really awful um, you know, signing, you know, really big loan agreements and people having a hard time taking me seriously. Right. So birthday comes and, um, we have a big bonfire and a party and stuff. And it was great. I was like, Oh great. I'm going to be done with this mustache thing. And then, so immediately the next morning I shave it off and I keep it, keep all the hairs <laughs> and I put them in a mustache or a, not a mustache, a envelope. With a picture, I actually took a picture of myself in the mirror before I shaved it off. And uh, that picture actually became the, the label art for the beer hop stash, which yeah. Woj created, um, or was his, um, uh, his inspiration to create this grapefruit IPA. Um, so I took, I put the picture of me before I shaved the mustache and my actual physical mustache in the envelope. <laughs> and I gave that to Woj for his 30th oh, birthday. Oh, that's awesome. I was like, here you go, my very first mustache. But um, after that, it gave me the confidence to go again because uh, by the time four months was up, it was actually looking like somewhat presentable. Right. And then um, I made another attempt like a year or so later just to see if I could get the curl. It was probably for like Halloween, you know, mm -hmm. so an excuse to, yeah. to do it. And then um, – I was pleasantly surprised by uh, throwing a little wax in there that it, it curled pretty well. Oh, yeah. And, um, it's held on. And I've branded it, so now I can't really get rid of yeah. it. So I've had it for almost 10 years now. And I used to shave it once every year and just let it grow back. Okay. But I think I've been wearing this one consecutively for at least four or five years straight now. Okay. So. Yeah, man. I um. I usually have to trim about an inch off every couple of months. Oh, so you'll just go every couple of months and you and yeah. Trim once it, a it bit? starts to make two loops, then it gets oh, a little yeah. too cumbersome to curl. What kind of wax are you rocking? Because that's um, you need some so industrial stuff. Beard Brand is a company mm -hmm. out of Texas. Um, they make a great mustache wax. I've been a big fan of their products, and they're a great company. And they probably love the shout out on their podcast. Yeah, maybe um, they'll sponsor this episode. And then not just, uh, yeah, give, give them a shout. Um, <laughs> but not just uh, mustache wax. It's like basically uh, grooming for men. And their motto is uh, keep on growing and uh, 
just love their their brand and their company and their products are awesome too. Nice. Yeah, I can parallel a lot of the the sentiments you you had with that evolution because I mean I've had a mustache now for probably like four years. Okay. And I have curled it at times. Nice. And uh, I I feel weird now without it, but people begin to associate it with you, mm-hmm. and so you almost feel guilty. Like it's your identity. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of the identity. And then I have this thing that I subscribe to, which is uh, different is better than better. Have you ever heard that no. phrase? So That's it's this quote, yeah, yeah, like different is better than better. And the the thing is, though, like if you're the way I look at it is if you're, say, applying for an accounting position and you're in a room full of accountants who all want that same job. Well, it's really hard in an interview to determine who the best accountant is mm-hmm in that 15, 20 minute conversation, but can you at least differentiate yourself? So then that can get you in the door. Then your accounting skills will show out once you have the job. So that's like how I've always, like I just shaved my mullet off this morning. I had a mullet (laughs) for a while and people are always just like, "How, how do people take you serious at work? And I'm like, I don't know, but they see me, they find out what type of person I am after they give me a chance. And maybe they have that much more of a respect for me. And they'll, they won't think the next mullet they see is some weirdo walking down the street. And I'm all the more memorable for it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's uh, kind of like uh, Freddie Mercury in the, in that movie uh, that they did Bohemian Rhapsody where yeah. the, people are always giving him shit about his teeth. Yep. And he's like, I don't want to look like everybody else. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger said the same thing too. <clears throat> when he was at the peak of his bodybuilding, he would have some people who were just like in awe and they loved like looking at this physical specimen. And then other people would come up and he'd be like, you, I don't want to look like you. And he's like, you couldn't if you tried, you know? <laughs> and so it's just like, he's like, I want to be different. That's the whole point of right. point of all this. Um, so you're, you're good buddies with Quinn Morris, who we've had on the podcast. What's your relationship with him like? Um, Quinn's a great friend. Um, we met through another mutual friend, uh, Mark Gothel, who actually used to, to work for us for, um, a short stint and, um, through, uh, basically active lifestyle. And, um, I learned that, uh, Quinn had this, uh, gym at his house and friends would go and lift weights and stuff. And after feeling, um, in my late thirties, like I was getting old and lethargic, I needed to, to make a change. And so finally I just, uh, texted Mark. I was like, is, can like people, how do people get into this gym right. program? And, and so I was introduced to Quinn through Mark and, um, um, just started showing up and, um, building the friendship with Quinn and we've had adventures inside and outside of, uh, gym sessions, which we call time travelers. Yep. Cause he's like, we don't, we're not here to build a bunch of mass and turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. We're just turning back time. Right. It's like, perfect. Like I'm getting older. My job's a little more, uh, less, you know, physical. And, um, I just want to, I want to be strong and healthy and be able to remain active. I'm, uh, a water skier and a wakeboarder. And I try to, you know, just stay active year round and adding this slice of workout, um, helps keep the soreness at bay. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember every spring when I'd start water skiing, I'd be sore, like incredibly yeah. sore for like 10 days, like immobile. And now that I'm training, you know, throughout the winter or throughout the year, really, um, I have like, no, I'm not sore. I'm, you know, starting my ski season strong and uh, it's just been great and getting up early and being productive and 
having more energy. And Quinn's just full of energy. Oh, dude. Um, just a great guy, great human. Yeah, he had, um, so he put me through a gauntlet. For him, it was probably just a, a nice, easy Saturday morning, but uh, it was I don't do that type of exercise. I, I was focused more on like a lot of heavy lifting. And mm-hmm. here you're going to, now you're going to hear my excuses of why I wasn't prepared, but there was a lot of like low rep, heavy lifting stuff. And then yeah. we go in there and he's like, well, what do you want to, what do you want to do? And I kind of told him, you know, like whatever you normally do. And then at the end, like as I was almost throwing up, <laughs> he like found out that I was working on like a heavy deadlift and trying to get that up and stuff. And he's like, oh, dude, I could have programmed that in instead. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I wanted to do what you did. I just wanted to have this built in <clears throat> excuse of why I was vomiting almost. And um, dude, his energy is is nuts. It's not just in his workouts either. It's in just his whole like entire his being. being. Yeah, yeah, he's just he could get you so excited about, I think, anything like the color of that door. You know, just be like, <laughs> dude, look at that door. Can you right. believe this? How crazy that door is. And, um, he's just so fun to be around, man. And I'm excited to get him back on cause he's doing some crazy stuff with his stand up for great lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, especially speaking to the whole physical health thing, like that's what I hope more people realize. And I think Quinn is a good steward of that is like movement equals life. So you're not, people think that movement is dangerous, but what's more dangerous is not moving, mm-hmm. you know, staying, staying sedentary. That's how you screw up your back. That's how you do all these things. Yeah. And I was starting to notice that mm-hmm. it's like, I just, I'm too young to be feeling like I've got back problems. And right. I just wanted to get my, my strength back. And it's been really great, you know, um, hanging out with these guys and we've, uh, we've had, uh, adventures. Uh, I've learned a lot from Quinn, you know, he's, he's a big traveler and an adventure seeker and, um, he tipped me off to uh, Moab, so we've oh, been nice. making our uh, f- our spring break family trips. I think two years in a row now we've done, it. and then Quinn um, was out there last year, so we teamed up a little bit and did some bike riding. And oh, sweet! Yeah, it's just it's been great. Yeah, how many? So, what's your family like right now? How many kids you got? I have two sons, okay, uh, eight and ten, and they're got. Just as much energy as Quinn, if not more. Jeez, man, yeah. that's a that's a lot of work. So yeah, I'm training to be a, a dad of two young boys. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you have it sounds like you have a lot of hobbies. I was I told you I was texting my brother in law mm-hmm. prior to this. Um, because for me, like you know, when you learn about something, so in this case it would be craft beer, and then you convince yourself that when you learned about it is when craft beer like was a thing, even mm-hmm. though it preceded you. And so I didn't know anything about craft beer until like near the end of college and um he was involved in it like five or six years ahead of that so he was talking about how humalupa right did i say that right yeah right, humalupa which i like and he really likes that was like his introduction into the ipa world back yeah. in 2008 2009 nice and he he wanted to get your take on that like have you heard that before that that was that started Huma. that started people on their <clears throat> on their trajectory or or have you been responsible for people's appreciation for other craft beers too? Um, I like to think like all of us brewers are, you know, have taken that role, like initially getting into, into this craft beer scene. For me, it was, um, I personally had just a, a devout like love for the craft and for the flavor and just the excitement of being able to take, you know, these raw materials and produce something beautiful and tasty and I wanted to share it because I was just so proud of it, so excited about like 
the infinite amount of possibilities. Um, but we have barriers to break through, especially up here in North, Northwestern Lower Michigan, where we really had to break down the preconceived notions that people had about craft beers. Mm-hmm. If you think about my parents and my grandparents and, and the products that they were exposed to growing up, it was like, you know, your buds and millers of the world, yep. which are fine. Um, but then there's this other dimension of flavors that um, a lot of people hadn't experienced or they already th- thought that they knew what those flavors mm-hmm. were, which were dark equal bitter and strong and gross or warm you know like i went to you know i was in the war and went to germany and we had warm beer in germany yeah there's all these just really preconceived notions and and for me it was like one of my personal favorite styles is ipa so like i was um just dedicated to crafting like the best IPA in, you know, in my mind. And then while doing that, I also realized that IPA is my favorite style, but maybe not other people's styles. Mm -hmm. So taking a look at the opposite end of the spectrum, like Bel Air Brown, which is more malt focused and like toffee and caramel flavors versus the citrus and pine and that you get from IPA. um, It was just this whole universe. And for me, it was exciting to really um, step up to the challenge of, you know, either old ladies or young men or, or whoever um, thought that they knew uh, what they liked. Mm-hmm. And uh, nine times out of 10, they didn't know anything about beer. Um, and so, for instance, when we first opened the pub in Bel Air, I would have, uh, surprisingly enough, like women um, would be more. Uh, I guess easy to find a fit for women have a, a more acute sensory. They're very, their palates mm. are very discerning. And so I'd always start with questions like, especially with uh, women, like my favorite question to ever get would be like, I don't like beer. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so what beers have you tried? And it would be like, Oh, I, I drank, uh, you know, hams or something <laughs> back in 1955 and threw up. <laughs> yeah. And then in the same conversation, I'd be like, well, do you drink coffee? Yeah. Do you like chocolate? You know, what's your favorite dessert or food? And you give a Bel Air Brown to a lady who says she doesn't like beer because the only beer that they've been exposed to is just this one style. Mm-hmm. And that one style is like warped her mind to think like that's all beer tastes like. And I'm like, no, here, try this. And then, oh my gosh, I got a Bel Air Brown lover for life out of that deal. You yeah. Yeah. And then the Bel Air Brown people, you know, might be the gateway and then they're ready to continue their road of exploration in the world of craft. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, Huma, getting back to your question, is um, in my point uh, or in my uh, perspective, like the graduate level, like when you make it to Huma, like you've been able to do like the nicey spices of the world, which is a spicy wheat beer with peppercorn and citrus and coriander to Bel Air Browns. Soft Parade, which is our fruit beer that we made for people who maybe prefer wine, but because we're a brew pub, we don't offer wine or cocktails. So that was its own niche. And then then you get into the world of hops, which is a whole different mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. So it's always um, rewarding when I hear somebody be like, yeah, Huma's my favorite, or I cut my teeth on Huma. And it's all, always really impressing when somebody's like, 
yeah, the first craft beer I loved was Huma. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, you went straight to the top of the yeah, charts. Yeah. You know, you bypassed all the entry level styles, but that's what that, you know, right. Everyone's got their own, uh, their own flavor profile. And that's, what's fun to navigate in the world of craft is. Yeah, man. I actually just got an email from, um, our marketing team that said we had 539 beers to date. So, um, so wow. as of today, we've created 539 different beers. No way. And, um, I'm sure a lot will fall into like categories of like experimental and specialty and IPA, mm-hmm. but just goes to show like over the course of 15 years, we've been able to just continue this exploration of flavors and um, experiences yeah. at all levels and, and really trying to figure out what, what people are honing in on. And uh, a lot of times it's just the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, that was good. What do you, what else you got? Right. You know? Yeah. So was it um, like, I assume that you were much more like directly involved in the brewing, obviously when you first started out, I mean, you had to get, uh, gain a passion for it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Was it ever hard to have to delegate and give up some of the decision-making or be like, Oh, that I didn't like that one, but apparently somebody does. Like, is that, is that weird to, as you grow, having to figure out that balance? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly catered to my own flavor profile uh, early on, but, you know, also realizing like, you know, just like somebody might not like IPA, they might like, you know, and I like IPA, I realized that I needed to make a light beer for folks like my dad, my grandpa, or, you know, these beers that um, people would want to try that I might not necessarily like. Like, I don't drink Soft Parade hardly ever, mm-hmm. but it's our number two seller. Yeah. You know, is um, Huma number one? Or is Huma it? used to be number one. Okay. So back in when we were like peak of IPA days and then Soft Parade overtook Huma because um, really the beer is so unique. There's nothing really comparable yeah. to it. So it's a great way to differentiate your portfolio if you're a craft beer purveyor. Um, and then just recently, Locals Light, our right, American yeah. Light Lager overtook soft yeah. parade which is interesting so we've started with huma being like the most intense beer of our regular you know offerings to our lightest mm-hmm. most approachable beer being our number one seller now yeah no i i think the locals light thing is it's a case of you know oh, i'm having a party and there might be like 25 people mm-hmm. and i know not all of them are going to want huma and they're not going to want to sip that not going to waste all night. my humas exactly. on these people yeah. who are going to have two drinks and pour it yeah. out right yeah. so, so it's like let's get let's get uh locals light in here but they also they want to be more uh sophisticated than to just buy you know mm-hmm. like a butter or a bush or whatever sure. and yeah it's like that perfect niche i find myself doing that when we're entertaining i'm like yeah i'm gonna get locals light because i know more people are going to be able to appreciate that. And also I'm a little bit more sophisticated. I'm not and I know where that. this beer came from. And that too. Yeah. And now I sat down with the, the dude behind it all. Um, yeah. I mean, I think craft beer, it's funny because I was able to see the, some of the older generations, like you'd mentioned, who had these preconceived notions. And I always like watching, watching them. So if you would have if you could rewind and go back 10, 12 years and maybe you have a 
a father-in-law or a dad or whoever who's like, yeah, I just don't get the whole craft beer scene. And then you you come back to present day and it's like, oh, now they have like three or four of their favorites. Like I think of yeah. my father-in-law, like I kind of saw that that jump where he's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I just like Bud Light. And like now, I like. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like, hey, remember when you said you weren't into this stuff? Like, you know, you got your your favorites. And yeah, it's uh, it's cool to see people gain an appreciation for what is actually like in art. There's so much that goes into it, you know, and, and people can use it, use their creativity and put out so many variations. It's awesome. But there, I mean, back to your question, there are a lot of beers that we make now that I do not like. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a big sour beer person, but we've got a new generation of brewers and they've got their own thoughts. And um, I really lucked out um, having Tony join the team early on. So Tony's in charge of all the brewing and recipe formulations and um, he manages the brew staff now. And I'm, I'm pretty far removed from it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, so Tony runs with the beers and those guys make all the, you know, stuff that I probably wouldn't drink and a lot of good stuff that I do like to drink mm-hmm. too. Um, but that's, what's awesome about having like different ages of people and different minds. Um, cause you really do need to appeal to everyone. And then the same token that gave me, um, you know, opportunities to explore, you know, learning how to run a company. You know, mm-hmm. I started as a brewer first and foremost, and then try to learn how to be a businessman. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk about that then. So what, what made you successful in that transition? Because there are a ton of people who have this passion. So painting, um, photography, whatever it might be. And then as soon as it comes time to, you know, file an LLC or figure out how to do taxes or all those things, that's when it like really sifts through the people who, you know, it isn't just a creative venture anymore. It's actually a business. Mm-hmm. Why were you successful thus far? Well, I think I have a combination of, um, um, dumb luck, tenacity, meeting a lot of really cool people. Um, and being okay to be okay with not knowing how to do everything. Um, so I was smart enough to know that I wasn't smart enough to do everything myself. Yeah. And, but, um, knowing what vision I wanted, I'm like, okay, who can do this? Who's good at this? I need to find somebody who's good at this. I need to find somebody who's good at this. I need to find. And, uh, so building the team and, uh, yeah, it was, it's an interesting, uh, ride. Um, but, I think assembling the team was, was the most important and, you know, people have come and gone over the years and you just learn how to navigate through all that and, you know, do the best you can attention to detail, you know, don't, or don't cut corners, but I've always been a fan of sweating the small stuff, like sweating the small stuff is important. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I started in the hospitality world um as a teenager so like you know the pub was our incubator that's where we really started and i never wanted to get back into hospitality but the pub actually is now one of the more robust restaurants in antrim county now mm-hmm. we have a 450 seat five storefront restaurant that grew from two storefronts and 70 seats or so um from a little tabletop conveyor oven to a, a full-blown kitchen you know um we just 
uh, that entrepreneurial side is that we just we filled we filled a void and um, we provided good product, good service, consistency, and value. It's like the easiest and hardest thing to do in the, mm-hmm. in the restaurant world. But um, uh, with beer attached to that, um, and we were able to grow both, you know, simultaneously. The pub, mm-hmm. the pub, kind of took off as its own universe and then in the world of distribution the shorts brew products really stuck out in in the world of craft Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it's cool because like part of why i like going to shorts and it's hard to do i'm convinced it's hard to do because not many people figure out how to do it where you offer good beer and good food like we all have that running list in our heads when you recommend a place to somebody like hey where's a good spot to to go grab a beer oh i can tell you this place but don't get their food it's not that good or mm-hmm. vice versa. And to be able to do both, like that's, that's really hard to do. It's a huge point of pride for, for all of us, I think, at Shorts. And, um, you know, restaurant, running a restaurant in Northern Michigan is no, you know, it's no easy task whatsoever. You have the seasonality, you have the staffing issues, you have housing issues. Um, so we really made an effort to try to build uh, the Shorts Brew Pub as an annual um, establishment, you know, we wanted to keep 90% of our people employed full time. You know, mm-hmm. we, we made a point to, to make sure that our wages and our benefits were super competitive. Um, because if you have to rebuild your staff every spring, then your messaging and your quality and your consistency just completely gets lost because you're spending more time training and less time focusing on operating. Yeah. Yeah. You want to have it all. I mean, you want everybody to be bought in. Like that's important, but it's also, it's hard to figure out how to do that because like I have it with this small podcast operation. I still like take it personally when I'm like, wait, you didn't listen to that episode. Cause that I thought was my best one. And it's like, no, not everybody is as invested. My own wife, you know, I can't expect her to be as invested in what I have going on. Um, but yet if you're wanting to grow and expand and build consistency, like you have to somehow create good enough connections I don't, I don't know with people so they feel like they're invested in it too uh yeah from a staffing level for sure um well and, and we wanted we want to build careers within this he wanted to be a point of pride for people to have a career in hospitality and um you know if you're a customer who just comes and visits in the summer we want you to not only have a great experience but we want your experience to be the same every time. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh yeah, I went back in 2013 and um, it was great, and then I went back again in 2014 and it was great. You know, I even had the same server or whatever. Um, our business models changed a bit. We've always worked back from that consumer experience. We're like, okay, if you're the person, you know, coming in, um, you know, what what do you want to feel like when you leave the door? Mm-hmm. And um, we've had to modify our business model and our floor plan and our menu, but that was all due to being, you know, successful from the get go. Like having a, a line out the door for people waiting to order at the counter. I'm like, it doesn't look like very much fun. Right. Let's fix this. Yeah. And so we did. Right. And is your wife still involved <clears throat> in the the food not side? as much not anymore? As much, okay. um, certainly integral part of. Uh, the founding and you know building the foundation and growing uh, the company, <coughs> uh, building the root structure. Um, when we first got going, she was uh, 
She was the front of the house operator, the kitchen manager, the bookkeeper, the Joe keeper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. uh, really a lot of the credit should be, you know, to our success is really falls on her shoulders. Yeah. How did, how did you guys sleep at like sleep at night? If you're both invested in this thing that you just want to see work, were, was it hard to shut that off? Because I have a couple friends that have started businesses or are in business with their spouse. And that's a question I always ask is like, how do you, A, not like hate each other when you have different differing ideas? Then how do you have a normal life outside of work? It's hard, man, to balance that. Try not to breach that conversation. Okay. Um, I mean, with her, yeah. she's like, we never even dated. We just worked. <laughs> right. And uh, But, you know, at the same time, like... I think it says something about uh, two people who can work 16, 18 hour days uh, for months on end at a time. Um, and we were both different, you know, departments, right? So mm -hmm. I was brewing and um, festing events and, and when Leah took over the, the hospitality portion, but um, we were just a good team. And even though it was exhausting and stressful, I think, it was also thrilling, even though she might not admit that. But um, it was a thrill, man. I mean, you woke up every day just exhausted from the day before and just prepared to just get your ass kicked. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it took an, took about 10 years before we didn't have to work nights and weekends anymore. Wow. But People don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear it I mean, when they're the starting truth a business. Doesn't matter. They're, I like, know. Especially like, in northern Michigan when, like, you are the labor. Yeah. You know, there's just... Sometimes you just have to be the labor. Yeah. And um, we we made a point early on to be like, okay, these are going to be the hours that we're open. Because once you start modifying hours, then people don't want to roll the dice and be like, well, last time I went there, they were closed. And mm -hmm. I drove all the way from Lake City or yeah. wherever. And it's like, that's not a gamble. Like, it all goes back to the consistency message. Like, yep, I can go to shorts and, you know, they're closed three days a year, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's like Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right. That's it. Yeah. that People like to count yeah. on that. Or our, in our employee party, right? So maybe four days a year. But okay. yeah, that's, that's just the world of hospitality. Yeah. And you, so you had kind of like bounced around a little bit before starting your own thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, where would you be if you hadn't, if this hadn't taken off or if you had never had the gumption to start it like do you know what capacity you'd be working in right now would you still be with beer in some i you know that, that's hard to say um you know i'd done three different brewing companies before i started shorts and and at that last one i was like all right so um yeah i can see the writing on the wall this one isn't going to be working out so my next step is to look for another job and work my way up in another company or is this the time at 22, 23 maybe? It's like, I'm just going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, then I'll still be young enough to, to start another career yeah. or something. Um, so I chose the latter. I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And I wanted to be up here in northern Michigan. Um, and uh, fortunately, I haven't had to do a new career at this point. Yeah. I mean, my career's been modified over the years just due to my role in the, in the company but mm -hmm. um it's always been in shorts right yeah. right so i mean like was there ever times where you were just felt like you were banging your head against the wall for no reason and you're like man i should have moved to grand rapids and tried to figure this out down there as opposed to these tiny little towns up here 
Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Um, so there was benefits to being in the small town. Like we probably didn't have the scrutiny of like uh, the building and code uh, and permitting process mm -hmm. like you would have in a major metropolitan area. Um, but one of the things, one of the codes that I live by is like, you know, don't do what you don't want to do and don't live where you don't want to live. All right. So that's why we came up with the love what you do, love where you live. So it's like, first off, I just want to be up here because this is, you know, this is home. I love being around the water. I love rural life. And um, I also love making beer and I want to make those two work. Mm -hmm. And because I was, I borrowed, uh, you know, some money personally from friends, I wasn't about to, to, to give in and Fail not them. be able to pay them back. So um, part of it was just basically like, it's like, you just have to make it work. Like, I don't know how, but I'm just going to do everything that I can do mm -hmm. to make it work. And I think that the passion and the tenacity we're a really key ingredient and um, I met a lot of people who who were impressed by that, who loaned me money and, you know, really the nick of time. Right. Many times. It always so, was there. It was, yeah. showed up when it needed to be there. That's cool. Without any plans, it was like, yep, I'm in dire straits. And it was like four times a year for the first seven years. It was like, don't know if we're going to make it through this, right. but... You but know. people just bet on you, essentially, like you as a person, not... I think so, yeah. Yeah. So they were, I mean, do you think when that stuff showed up that they were betting on Joe or were they betting on your skills as a brewer or this entrepreneurial I think both. Skill? Okay. I think if I were to, I guess, put my words into, you know, uh, people's mouths like Jim May and Bill Sohn, um, uh, some of our early investors, they were... They would probably say that, you know, I'm hardworking, I'm a nice guy, passionate, and I'm a talented brewer, and I've got experience in the hospitality mm -hmm. industry. And the formula for what I was trying to do in northern Michigan was really premature, but if we could get it ahead, yeah. if we could break through that barrier and stick it out long enough, mm -hmm. um, that there would be success at some point. And, and you know, not going would you know yeah. we're we're experiencing some of that but i mean it's not you know we're not an easy street by any means i mean the world of business and, and entrepreneurship is never is a never ending challenges mm -hmm. and um you're just more weathered and you're more prepared to meet those and they're always bigger and different than the previous ones mm -hmm. yeah I think you, about some of the other the old ones i'm like can't believe that stuff used to keep me up at night right now this keeps me up at night. Yeah, this know? is the real. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you have to stay sharp too. Otherwise, I think you can just fade into the crowd. You know, there's there's so many people that would want to be in a position similar to this or, or feel that they're deserving of it too. And it's like if you don't stay sharp, you don't maintain a focus on all those things that made you, you know, successful from the, from the get or those qualities that you had, I guess. Then, yeah, you just fade into the background pretty easily, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you have to want it. And you have to really want it. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of what I wanted to wanted to ask you next. I mean, I know you're involved in a lot of different hobbies and stuff. So you play music. You said you. Yeah, you, a little bit of music. A little bit. I don't consider myself a musician. Okay. More, more of a, a 
a musical humorist. Got it. But I've I've written a few songs about beer and uh, created a band called Braxton Hicks and the Contractions. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is fun. <laughs> yep. Um, um, so, I mean, with with those hobbies and stuff, are you somebody who uses hobby – like some people use hobbies as a way to kind of shut their brain off from what else is going on. But other people use hobbies as just another thing that they want to master. Like are you in mm. either of those camps, a combination? Oh, man. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've ever wanted to master hobbies per se. Mm-hmm. But – but use the things that have been interested in to leverage the success of shorts. So for instance, like being in a band has always been a dream, but I'm never going to be a talented musician to like do that by itself. Right. But if I can put on an alter ego and write some fun songs about beer that tell a story, mm-hmm. then that's great. If I can, um, you know, wanting, I've always had this dream to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live, but that's never going to happen. But can I create really fun and interesting marketing videos Yeah, and leverage, you know, the company and, and put some personality into our brand through that love of, of drama and, and uh, acting? Sure. Um, you know, thrill seeking, like, do I, um, enjoy doing stuff uh, that people probably would think is crazy or unruly, like my own stunts, um, seeing, you know, what I can get, a, what I'm comfortable with getting away with, like riding a mountain bike off of a semi-trailer or jumping an antique snowmobile or <laughs> uh, water skiing behind an airplane. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, as long as I didn't, you know, hashtag Joe Short can't die. Right. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I feel like everything that I'm interested in, I can I can use shorts as my vehicle. Um, my my career is starting to be um, evolving into a lot of more civic work, and uh, I've been involved in a lot of boards and committees. Um, I've, I've got an affinity for uh, restoring old buildings and and building um, you know a lot of community development work. Um, so I, all of this is really, you know, the shorts vehicle has this, all these arms that it mm-hmm. can affect. And, um, I like being able to use, uh, the company, um, leverage the company to, to achieve, you know, these things in community or, or hobbies or otherwise. Yeah. That's a cool spot to be in because you can, you can leverage off your past success. So what, what led you to what shorts currently is, and then kind of the, uh, the equity that's allowed you to build with your community members or whoever, mm-hmm. but then also through that leveraging, you can help grow into something else too. And that's a cool spot to be in, I would think. Yeah. So it, it, it will bring that attention back to shorts. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, Joe shorts on the board of uh, title track or community foundation, you know, it says like our organization is um, feels that community development and water and youth and equity is important. And then, uh, you know, if I'm doing stunts, it says like our company um, really thinks it's important to have fun and take risks. And, you know, um, if we're, you know, thinking about funny promotional videos or Braxton Hicks, it's says our company is okay to be goofy and um, take a breather and lighten up and use your creative, you know, willpower. Um I think it just uh, it's really just a big person, you know. It's just a lot of personality mm-hmm. all kind of balled up, and we can do whatever we want with it, right? In theory, right? Yeah. No, I think that's a cool. It's a cool spot 
And I think society in general or culture is like becoming more accepting of, of that too. So especially millennials, which I harp on all the time and talk about is like, we want to know that who we're supporting is a genuine person and that what we're, what we're getting, mm-hmm. what we're seeing is what we, what we get and all those types of things. And, and I find that like with this small operation that I have, I find that so freeing because I'm like, no, this cold shower podcast is representative of my values as a person. So I get to just be myself and I'm representing it just with that, with being myself. And I think it's just so freeing and so cool to be able to do that with a business and then to have a society and a culture that's kind of more accepting of that, like where you don't have to hide your flaws so much. You can embrace like these quirks or what makes you unique and weird is is really awesome. I think that it's a good point. I think consumers are, um, they really want to understand the value behind the products that they're buying and consuming. And um, I've always thought of shorts as like, we're a for-profit company that does nonprofit work. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, like we give, you know, most of our money away (laughs) to all these organizations or all these things that we believe in outside of just making um, great products and creating awesome experiences. We have values that um, will translate. um, And so when you, buy a shorts brew product that you know that something good not um, is just going to go into your mouth, but something good is going to happen in the world around mm-hmm. you through the work that we're doing. Yeah. And um, that's been an important part of our evolution as a company. Right. Right on, man. Um, I know that you got to get going. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, Solid word. Yeah. Man. I appreciate you having me out, dude. This was yeah. really cool. I was excited to be able to score or sit down with you. So Yeah. Well, um, feel free to hit me up again and maybe we... Quinn and I can tag team one or yeah. uh, do a back-to-back session. It'd be awesome. I heard you got to do the uh, the cold shower sauna program. Dude. Yeah. All right. What do, what do you think of that whole setup? I mean, I imagine you. I love it. it. Actually, um, that was one of the things. So two years ago, I did a promotional video <laughs> for the new year and basically jumped off my dock into the river. We had to like chip holes yeah. in the ice. But I, I'm a firm believer that it was that um, sauna, cold water bath that trained, that gave me the confidence to mm-hmm. jump into the water at, it was like below zero that day. And um, I knew it was fine. I, the water was warmer than the air. It was like literally mm-hmm. like three below or something mm-hmm. like that. But I'm like, all right. Yeah. I've been in cold water before. It's no big deal. And uh, tied a ski rope around my ankle just in case like I didn't somebody needed to reel me in right and the funniest part about that is like all right I've got my beer and my GoPro and I'm like I'm going you know stripped down in my shorts I jump in the rope doesn't even stay on my foot (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm like down there under the water trying to like get footage of because we threw some beer in there that I was gonna fish out was there was there uh there's a light current okay uh, because we're right on the river right where Elk Lake Turns to Elk River, flows into Lake Michigan, okay. right? Or Traverse Bay. Um, and it was, you know, super brief, but exhilarating, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's it's thrilling. It's it's part of the, you know, one of the many thrills that we experience in uh, what we do around here. But um, I would have to, to attribute a lot of that success of that particular stunt to Quinn's uh, sauna cold water bath program oh man it's awesome we'll get a yeah we should all right quinn if you're listening well he's got to listen to this one i would think um 
we got to have another little get together and get some sweaty dudes in that sauna tube and uh, jump into the Yeah, after a couple. Barrel. So I usually would go in maybe three or four times. But the fourth time, that water gets a little salty. Yeah. Oh, that's that's for <laughs> sure, man. Yeah, you're you got to keep adding ice chunks. And, <laughs> yeah, you're sweating a lot. But yeah, yeah it was uh, it was good, good training, good for the body, and um, you know, I've had some really, really good deep conversations in, mm-hmm. in in that sauna too that were important. Not you know for for mental health too. You know, we're there um, as physical beings working on our our physical health, but at the same time, you know, being able to have uh, really important meaningful discussions with friends um is super healthy too it is and and it's like we as humans in america we're not presented with a whole lot of challenges in in the day-to-day like as long as you're fed and clothed and all those things you kind of have to create your own discomfort and (laughs) i heard one guy explain it they're like lifting weights he's like listen i don't have to wake up and go work in the field in order to feed my family he's like working out and lifting weights is fake work and it's fake because he doesn't need it to survive right but he's having to create these and i think it's the same thing with the sauna in the ice bath like 150 years ago people were trying to avoid intense cold <laughs> so they could survive right and we're having to do it to stay sharp and i love that aspect of yeah. it. yeah so yeah that's a good point yeah well, well thanks again man i really do appreciate it uh we'll Anytime. snap a photo of the, sure. of the uh, mustaches and and get out of your hair awesome All right. Thank you guys for listening. Love you. Bye-bye.